the one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may find receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands, my name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. No tongue can bid me thence depart. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because a sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on Him and pardon me. To look on Him and pardon me. Let's sing that again. Let's sing verse 2. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because a sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and Pardon me, to look on him and pardon me. Behold him there, the risen lamb, my perfect spotless righteousness, the great unchangeable I am, the king of glory and of grace. What in himself? Savior and my God, with Christ my Savior and my God. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, indeed, you are one in yourself, and the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all working to bring us into 
fellowship with you to save us, Lord. The Father sent the Son. The Son came and died for our sins, and the Holy Spirit has revealed him to us. Lord, how great and how awesome your work of salvation is to us, God. Lord, we pray as we come before your word, God. We pray that you would open it to us, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would illumine our hearts, Lord, so that we might see the glorious truths of who you are and what you've done. Lord, change us, we pray. Let us be changed from one degree of glory into the next. For this is what we long for. We pray you be with Pastor Bob. Lord, give him your words and give him your strength. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Matt had a a good a good a tough week and a good week simultaneously. Uh, you know, Matt's feeding tube is not something that he is pleased with, and that he's been adamant about various aspects of it, including it not being in his body. And uh, so this week he decided to just pull it out. And that's pulling a balloon, what, about the size of a tennis ball through a quarter hole? Yeah, that's about right. <laughs> and uh, obviously creating difficulties and all these kinds of things. And you're sitting there pulling your hair, I imagine, and wondering what to do next. And as it turns out, as only God can do, turns something so negative into a blessing. It turns out that there's a whole new feeding tube process that they can put in. It's, uh, it's, it's more efficient. It goes three times faster. Mac can get all his food in his daytime now and all the calories that he needs. It's, it's, it's just changed the whole system and uh, to something much better. And so, what, again, when we look at something and we think, you know, again, I come to that point where I say, oh, I got a flat tire, or, oh, thank you, Lord, for my flat tire. There's, there's two ways of looking at things. So that was a good thing to hear and a great, great point where we can see how God does things. Yeah. yeah. And he knows all the magic tricks. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we are continuing in the book of Romans. Romans chapter uh, 11, and uh, as we come up to this uh, section of scripture, uh, just remember, you know, Paul has been addressing uh, the relationship, or maybe you could say the lack of relationship uh, that Israel has with the Lord, uh, taking special note of the promises that were made between Israel and God, and going back clear to Abraham with them, and the, the question mark coming up, if Israel's not participating in Christ, can we trust that God's going to deliver on his promises? And the, the whole emphasis that Paul's putting through this in chapter 9 and 10 is absolutely yes. There's a reason why Israel has fallen short of God's blessings, 
and he goes to explain it, and chapter 11 is, is, is a big part of this. Uh, he points out that, you know, uh, the Holy Spirit through Paul points out, even though Israel as a whole has rejected Christ, there is a, a chosen few or a remnant that God has uh, chosen to be a part of what he is doing. So Paul's, one of his key arguments was, you know, there is a remnant that, is, that God has called. God has not abandoned the Hebrew people. See, look at this. And then he goes and points to himself. Even I, basically, paraphrasing very largely here, even I am one of them. Meaning that, you know, look, here I am. And so uh, it brings us to where we are in, in uh, the chapter today, starting with verse 7. Uh, we'll go back to verse 6 just to, to tie it backwards. But if, if, if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. Now, that's presented to us as a fact, not a question. It's not one of those. It says, Israel has failed to obtain what it was seeking. Notice where the emphasis falls on the failure. God's promises haven't failed. Israel has failed. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. When he says the elect obtained it, who is he referring to? The remnant, the group that, including himself. You know, there's a group that God has chosen out of Israel that have obtained it, but the rest, and this is the, the, the picture that we, we start to gain here, the, the, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. And, Dave, and as David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. Those are some strong words, and they're not words that are, you know, something that you just want to turn around and try to make a, a sermon out of even because it's such a strong statement of judgment. But the reality is, is that they, they have failed to obtain something. And, and because of that, God is surrendering them or turning them over to who they've chosen to be, basically. Uh, you recall in Romans chapter 1, when it's talking about sin, and finally God says, and he will turn them over to their sins, basically. They will become people who seek anything and everything but God. And this is the, there's, one person put it, I thought it was interesting, almost in a sense like natural laws. You know, if I, you know, the, the, the law of gravity, you know, you, you drop something, it falls, it hits the ground, and then somebody has to bend over and pick it up. That was stupid. Uh, yeah, and uh, the idea is, is that uh, you know, we, we have certain things that we know are, are basic laws. Well, there's, some, there's spiritual laws. What, what's one of the spiritual laws that you know with, with confidence? If you seek the Lord, you will find him. Okay? If you do choose not to seek the Lord, then you won't find him, then must be the inverse, you know. And this other picture is, is if you pull away from God, 
you're pulling away from all uh, that he can do to bless you as well. And so as Israel pulls away, it's not obtaining what it was seeking because it's, he, Israel was pulling away from God. Recall what it, what it says uh, earlier in the, in the scripture, going back into in chapter 9, for instance. Um, oh, towards the, the end, it says, Israel who, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, it's verse 31 of chapter 9, did not succeed in reaching that law. In other words, they sought the law, they were seeking it, the law of righteousness, but they didn't succeed in obtaining what it had. Why? Because they were seeking it in the flesh. They had chosen not to come through Christ or the promise of Christ. They, they did it in the flesh. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, Jesus Christ. The stumbling stone for the Jews, but the foundation stone from God for his, his church. And so uh, the, the, the reinforcement then of whoever believes in him, the one who is known as the stumbling stone, will not be put to shame. So we have that picture of, of what the, was going on with the, with the Jewish people, uh, the Israel as a nation. And uh, he says, I, Paul says also in chapter 10, just a, a couple of verses later, for uh, I bear witness that they have a zeal for God. You ask them, they'll say, oh, yes, God. But not according to knowledge. Now, we went over all of that a, uh, a couple months ago. But the idea of not according to knowledge is basically ignoring the knowledge that God has given them of who? Jesus Christ and all that Christ is and all that Christ does and that we come to him through the blood of Christ. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So what was it that they were seeking after that they did not obtain? Righteousness. They were seeking after the righteousness of God and not getting anywhere with it. Not getting even close. Now, sometimes you, you, you would think, it, at best, at least I got close. I did all the right things. But God says, you know, as people approach him uh, eternally at, at judgment, he, there's going to be this statement that comes out. I did all this in your name. And he's going to say, I don't know you. It's not... Again, what we do, it's what he's done. And if we can't, if we don't catch that, then we miss everything else, period. If we don't grasp a hold of that truth, that that is reality, then we miss everything else. We'll never understand his creation fully. We'll never understand the, 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 the scriptures that we read this morning of, of the glory of God and the praise and the worship will never mean anything to us in the fullness of depth. We might get into a situation where we sing and praise and satisfy our mental capacity, if you will, 
and kind of feel good as we walk out the door and, and say we, 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 you know, we, we sang and we, we read the word, we prayed, we did all the things we were supposed to do. But if it isn't something that is coming from the heart, that's why Paul emphasized in chapter 10, confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord, from, you know, confessing from the and with the heart, believe. And very specifically, the resurrection, that God raised Jesus from the dead. The Jewish people would do neither as a nation. But as Paul said, don't forget that God has a, an elect, a chosen, a remnant within the framework of that. And, and that is the awesome thing because as God looks at a fallen world, as God looks at a fallen, even a, a people that, that, that he has chosen, he even called the apple of his eye, as he looks at them and as all we and them as deserve because we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, he turns around and pulls out his church and chooses, not because we deserve it, but because of his grace. So, again, this picture, what then? What's happened to the rest? Israel's failed to attain what it's seeking. And the thing that they're seeking, seeking is righteousness. Unbelief, rejection of Christ is the problem. I was looking at this and thinking, how do you describe hardening? You know, here, what is, is hardening? I thought, well, the first thing you do is do a word study. What do you come up with? And, and the word literally means, to, it deals with the idea of the sap being drawn from a tree to where a wood dies and then it becomes hard. And, and we would say today to petrify. Yeah, some, some uh, woods that have, been, that have sat for a long period of time without its sap and, and weather and stuff, actually become so hard you can't drill through it, can't nail through it. You can't, you know, you go to hit a nail through it and, and, and the nail bends. Uh, it's uh, this idea of, of a wood that has become like rock. I thought that was an interesting picture. God has, you know, uh, caused them to become like petrified wood. Uh, the, another, uh, Phrase that goes with it, though, interesting, is to render stupid. And I, I just skipped over that one. Uh, <laughs> to render stupid means the idea of stupid here, though, is, is the fullness of ignorant without knowledge uh, and not desiring to have it. You know, it's kind of, the, you know, the, the person who knows there's a better way to, to talk but chooses not to. <laughs> uh, and I'm not going to get into that other than, you know, I, I can remember how, how many times growing up, ain't is not a word. <laughs> yeah, and uh, uh, now I, get, I say that to my grandson, and he says, oh, it's in the dictionary, it's in this, it's in that. Our teacher showed it to us, and I thought, thanks a lot. Um, but the idea is that, that it's, it's a matter of, of someone who wants to turn it away. They actually want to become hard. They don't, they don't say it, but that's kind of that, that coming back to that law. If I'm refusing to acknowledge what is the best way to go, then I am actually making a statement, even though I don't declare it, that I don't want God's blessing. And if the irony is, is that that's not what I say in my head, in my thing, but as soon as I make certain choices, I'm invoking the consequences. To blind is another phrase goes with that. 
So I looked at this, uh, the idea of hardening, and it actually that's what Paul decided to do with the next few verses, quoting out of the Old Testament, was to show us what hardening is. Uh, and he says, as it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. And as Paul writes it there, it's still true today. The nation of Israel, if you, as, as much as, as it is our ally and we support it, and there's things that draw us to wanting to see them preserved, the bottom line is they are still refusing Christ. Uh, in fact, unfortunately and sadly, the nation of Israel is refusing their traditional heritage as well. The majority of people in Israel are not Orthodox. At all. I don't know what you found when you were there, but that's, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, kind of an interesting phenomenon. The, the ethnic Jewish is the, is the emphasis and not necessarily Orthodox uh, in, in faith. Uh, but anyway, coming back to this is, is that Paul's, you know, saying, as it is written. So he's taking a scripture here, and what he's gone is he's gone back to some things that Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 29 but also that Isaiah said in chapter 29 of Isaiah. And, and he kind of shuffled them together. Somebody said, well, can he do that? Yeah, I guess so. Uh, who is inspiring Paul as he writes? Keep this in mind. The Holy Spirit. Who wrote the scriptures? The Holy Spirit. Does the Holy Spirit have the right to paraphrase his own words? <laughs> yes. Okay, so he, you know, it's a combination of a couple of, of of scriptures coming together. This idea of God gave them over then because of their pulling away from him, refusing Christ, the, 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 the cornerstone, and stumbling over it. It says God gave them over to a stupor. Uh, the stupor is a, a sense of, of uh, uh, somebody who's, who's almost unconscious. You know, you, you might say the, the lights are on, but nobody's home. You know, uh, and, and it's... You know, one of those things where, where you know, you can be talking to somebody and you realize that nothing is happening. <laughs> yeah, and, and so that idea of, of super, uh, but also kind of a t and tied with it is a sense of fatigue. You know, you're, you're just, you're, you're, you finally run out of steam in trying to fix something or do something. But this idea of, 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 of uh, is, is then eyes that cannot see. It's not that they are actually literally blind, but eyes that cannot see and ears that cannot hear uh, in, the, in the sense of, of uh, spiritual condition. God did not push Israel away to open the door for the Gentiles. Israel pulled away. It still opened the door to the Gentiles. But it's not that God pushed them out, it's that they pulled away. Uh, the inverse of this would be uh, what you find in, in, in James chapter 4. If you draw near to God, he will what? Draw near to you. 
Israel's practicing at this point the inverse of that, the opposite. Paul speaks of, of this hardening in uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3. Uh, I'm going to pick it up at the uh, 12th verse, chapter 3. It says, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. Now, what was happening? Moses had come down and his face was covered with glory. They put a veil over that because what was happening? Huh? They would worship him and, and, if, and, and, and the, the glory might fade even, you know, in, in a sense. They, just, they didn't want that to be the focal point. But the minds were hardened. Uh, for to this day, when they read Old Covenant, uh, the, that same veil remains unlifted for them. In other words, they're, they're reading the scriptures, even the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, they're reading it with a veil. So, uh, because, <clears throat> because only through Christ is it taken away. And what's the greatest allusion to the veil that, that we have in the sense of hiding the glory of God so, you know, so that you can behold, you know, come, you know, come approximate the presence of God. What was, the, what was separating the curtain in the Holy of Holies? What happened when Jesus said, it is finished? Torn in two from top to bottom. And again, a very visual picture. Certainly the, the priests who were on, uh, on duty at the time saw it, heard it, probably hid uh, quickly, fell down on their faces, uh, thinking it was the end had come. It's only through Christ that the veil is removed. Uh, and so uh, as, as a result, uh, you know, he says their minds, verse uh, 14, their minds were hardened for this day, for to this day when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains in, uh, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this very day, uh, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. This was the condition, is the condition of those who, who continue to reject Christ. Uh, I, I've got uh, some messianic friends, meaning, you know, that's the term for, some people use the phrase completed Jew, and they, they still are very torn for, you know, uh, they still uh, go to temple on, on Friday nights, uh, they still worship, um, they, they still feel a, a special kinship, and, and don't misunderstand, I, I receive that, but it's hard for them to receive this that Paul writes. Even as believers, the veil has been removed. They've accepted Christ. They have a problem with the, with the idea that unless you are resting in Christ, there is no salvation. This hardening that takes place, that blinds them, that covers their eyes and, and, and closes off their ears, does something that is tragic in its process. Um, and this is where we come to the, 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 the next verse. 
uh, and it's a quote uh, from uh, David in, in, in Psalm 69. David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution, a judgment for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. Psalm 69, 22-23. What the idea of the, of the table here is whenever you sit down to a table, what's from, from a Christian perspective or the Hebrew perspective, what was one of the first things that happened? You gave something. You gave thanks. Even in communion, we, we initiate with that concept that Jesus took the bread and after giving thanks to the Father, he broke the bread. It's the idea of, of, of the table is, is the point, one of the physical points in the Old Testament of blessing between man and God. Still is in, in the church, okay? The table, the feasts, the sacrifices were the blessings, that, and the table represents that. And instead of the table being a sense of, of joy and, and coming to freedom, David says, let it become a, a, a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution. What it means is basically when you approach the table of thanksgiving, if you will, in any context of God's blessings, you approach it without thanksgiving, okay? And, and the only way you can approach it with thanksgiving today is in Christ. So basically, uh, a Psalm 69, by the way, is a messianic psalm, and so that's you know, why Paul has picked it here. Without, uh, without Christ, anything you do as you set the table before God and you're doing it out of any kind of obedience or, or tradition and anything else, as you do it, you can even say thank you. But if your heart is not in it, if your heart is not at the base of it, if it doesn't come through Jesus Christ, it's actually turned into a snare, a trap. And I thought, well, gosh, what do you mean by a snare or a trap? And, and I realized, you know, a false sense of hope. If I just do this, 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 and this, I will be all right before God. And I have a false sense of hope if that's not resting first in the grace of Christ and his resurrection. As Jesus is Lord and his resurrection. If it's not resting there, then I'm creating a sense of walking out the door and feeling okay about myself without it being true. And I'm actually in a snare. I'm actually in a trap. It's something that actually Satan has done. That's what we normally refer to when we think of a snare, don't we, that Satan has set it? You know? In other words, when we start to rest in ourselves, that is the, 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 the snare of Satan going clear back to the Garden of Eden. We are trapped by our sin. We're held captive by it. What a, it's such a sad thing to discuss or to think. 
the uh, author, William, or commentator, study theologian, William Newell, had an interesting thought. He even used an interesting picture, and I, and I found this fascinating. And so I'm just going to read it uh, in reference to the table being made a, a snare and how that could even reflect, you know, at a, at, at a time where you just, it never occurred to me, let's put it this way. He writes, an ominous comment on this. This table made a snare is the story of the Last Supper. Judas was, it appears, sitting so near to Jesus that the sop, which would mark the betrayer, was handed to him without attracting the attention of the rest. We all remember when, when even though Jesus said, the one I give this to will be the one, nobody caught on because what did they say when Judas left? They said, oh, well, he must be going out to take care of the poor, do something, you know, in that context. It has been my own belief that while John was sitting on one side of our Lord, Judas was on the other side. It was the hideous presumption of callous sin. And after the sop, then entered Satan into him. Literally quoting here out of John. And having received, uh, and, uh, and having received the sop, he went out, and it was night. Judas typifies Israel. Indeed, he so became the spiritual representative of apostate Israel that rejected Christ that we need only turn to that 69th Psalm, Christ's great reproach Psalm, from which Paul is quoting here in Romans 11, chapter, 9 and, or chapter 11, verses 9 and 10, to see this. The 21st verse of this Psalm says, In my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. If evidently it is Christ speaking. Then here in verse 22 and following, Let their table become a snare, and through verse 28, the wicked generation symbolized in Judas is shown. And I thought, it is true. That table of, of, of camaraderie and friendship and blessing between Christ and the apostles for Judas became a snare. Satan says, it says, literally, Satan entered him. Do you realize that that's the only actual possession by Satan that's listed in Scripture? You know how people will say, well, the devil is in them and all this kind of stuff. Demonically, maybe, but, but this is an actual, you know, when Jesus came in, the, when they came face to face in the garden, he came face to face with, with Satan through Judas. What, a, what a, a, an amazing kind of picture. Judas fell to that. And so what he's trying to do is simply say, if you reject Christ, if you refuse Christ, then you might think yourself better than Judas, <laughs> but you're not, you have no more hope than Judas. That kind of scared me in one sense uh, of just something to say to a congregation. That's kind of overwhelming. Paul goes on and says in verse 10, let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see. Uh, you know, it's... Uh, and, and, and bend their backs forever. This idea of their eyes being darkened so they cannot see comes out of Isaiah 
chapter 6. I love quoting Isaiah chapter 6 because it's so neat when, when, when God says, gee, who am I going to send? And Isaiah says, send me. That's Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. Uh, turn to Isaiah chapter 6, if you would, please, and, and, and we'll look at this because it's the very next verses that, that uh, we deal with here. This picture of Isaiah's vision in, uh, of the Lord in heaven, and, and again, he says in verse 8, he says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, and this is what Isaiah was given to say. I, I, maybe he wouldn't have been so anxious if he'd known first what he was going to tell them. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. In other words, God has said they've gone too far to turn around. And he says they need to hear this, this, this message of, you know, unless, unless they were to what? Hear with their what? Heart. And that was, the idea is, is that, that the Hebrew people had at this time also drifted away into idolatry. Their heart wasn't in it. David writes about it. Amos writes about it. Uh, they talk about, in Hosea as well, bringing the sacrifice has no value to it at all because your heart's not in it. But that idea of the sacrifice is coming to the table. The table becomes a trap because they walked away saying, oh, I'm okay. Jesus applies this scripture, by the way. He says, as Isaiah said, you know, in Matthew 13, when he starts using parables. He says, so there are eyes that are blind and their, and their, and, and, and their heart, you know, their, their ears that can't hear. It will just, you know, that, it'll continue that way. They don't want to know. It's used again by Jesus in John chapter 12 as well in reference to the, to the Hebrew people. But the one that, that caught my interest is where it is quoted in Acts chapter 28 as the, end, the very end of the book of Acts. Go back to verse 26. Next, we'll go back to verse 23. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging. This is to meet with, with, with uh, Paul. They came to him in his lodging uh, in, in great numbers from Morning till evening, he expanded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive. 
For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes have, been, have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Again, heavy words. Paul's making it, wants to make sure people understand why it is that we can first say Israel has not been abandoned. Israel has not been left out of the picture. There's an elect, there's a group, there's a remnant that are still within the framework of this. Paul is one, and, and God hasn't abandoned them as a people. But understand, you can get a false sense of security really easy and think that everything is, you know, that you're doing on the right thing and never have made even a confession for Christ and rest with the idea that, oh, well, I, you know, I, I, I came to the table on a regular basis. I did this, I did that, I did this, I did that. I must be okay. Certainly better than the people that never did any of that. And, you know, Paul is saying that's not the criterion. Confess, believe from the depth of your heart that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead and acknowledge it and rest in it with confidence that he is, as he puts it through this whole thing, he is God's choice for our salvation. There is no other name. There is no other way. And so the application as it was to Israel in, in general is also to us as, as a nation today now, we can acknowledge, uh, you know, there's a number of, of, of uh, liberal churches who are wearing the name Christian. And in fact, it's one of these things where it's getting hard to, 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 to say, I'm a Christian and know what people think of you. Because they, they might automatically, they can put you in any one of a, of, of a number of camps. So, you know, they might try to identify you. Well, are you one of those Bible-believing Christians? Well, yeah, but in, in, in my next response is, is normally harsh, there isn't any other kind. <laughs> if you're a Christian, you're Bible-believing. It's a given. Oh, no. You believe in the bodily resurrection? Yes. A pastor speaking to me 20-some years ago, that's what you preach? Yes. Oh, man. Get, basically saying, get with it and understand. It's just the resurrection of his teachings that we have. Not the bodily, physical resurrection. What are you going to do? Little question to me. Put to me by, by someone just this, this last week. What are you going to do if they uncover his bones? And I said, nothing. And they said, why? And I said, because it's, it's not going to be his bones. Quite candidly, if they could have uncovered his bones, they'd have done it by now if somebody knew. And, if, and, and, and if they certainly would have done that in the first week of, the, of, the, of, of after Pentecost. They would have said, no, 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 the bones are right here. You know, here's the tomb. No, they didn't get the wrong tomb. <laughs> or they got the wrong tomb. Here's their, you know, all the arguments that people use. The bottom line is, is that we 
if we are, are confessing Christ as Lord, we, to, to be in Christ means to receive him, his resurrection, his grace that he purchased when he said it is finished, proved that he had the power to give life eternal when he raised from the dead bodily, physically out of the tomb. And so this, this there, there, I'm saying to, suggesting to you there's an, uh, a horrendous number of people who are resting at the table, and it's a snare. And we need to be aware, not everyone that says, I am a Christian, is. I just finished reading an article, it was most fascinating, uh, out of an a, a, a economics journal, actually. Uh, fairly conservative uh, approach uh, group. Uh, talk about stocks, bonds, and investments, and all this kind of stuff. But they, they thought it was interesting to take a look at the Mormon Empire. And the amount of investment they have around the world and the businesses that it runs and the amount of money that it, it deals with and all of this kind of stuff. And they said all in the name of Christ. And I thought that's interesting because according to Paul, they don't know Christ. Even the article, see, was saying all in the name of Christ. But they're not the only ones. I'm just saying it's, it's, there's, there's hundreds of groups of people who do not receive the physical bodily resurrection of Christ as the source for their grace and that alone. And I want you to know, you know, if we approach Thanksgiving and we come to the table today, that you want to be thankful that you know that you know that you know that you come here Resting in Jesus Christ alone, period. There is nothing that you bring to the table because he has already brought it all. When he said it is finished, it was completed in such a way that nothing was left to be done. Your cup, my cup of judgment is empty. There's not a drop left to be poured out on us. He drank the full cup of wrath on our behalf. And so as we approach the table, we do so with a confidence that rests in him, in him alone. Any other kind of confidence leads towards that idea of a snare or a trap. I, you know, I, I, I thought of all the different things I could say for a Thanksgiving message coming into Thanksgiving, and I thought as I went through this, I almost wanted to skip it simply because it just wasn't a real thing. Of, and then I realized, no, wait a minute. It's probably one of the, the most deep Thanksgiving messages I've ever read when we complete it with the idea of asking you to come to the table and share in communion, and you get to do so with an absolute confidence of who God is and what he's done for you. So I want to uh, invite you to share in communion. I ask the ushers to pass it out until we've all been served, and we'll share together.
deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that He should give His only Son to make a wretch His His face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to This I know with all my heart, his wounds have paid my ransom. You realize that in the midst of, of, of even now, Jewish people being saved, that's God said that this would happen this way, but it's the nation that's being spoken of here as a whole. But there is a neat thing that's going to yet happen. There is a prophetic picture put to us in Zechariah chapter 12. 
where it says the, the nation of, of, of Israel will look upon him who they have pierced and they'll be saved. That's a paraphrase, but that's basically what it says. God's not finished with the Hebrew people by any means. And he's not finished with us and he's not finished with the Gentiles at this point yet either. What it is is that if we will confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and receive with, from the depths of our heart that he is risen from the dead, he is our answer. He, his wounds have paid the ransom. It's paid in full. Then we rest with confidence in him. And so we can come to the table that he set up for us as a memorial until he returns and shares it with us again. He said, as often as we would do this, we would do it in remembrance of him. And taking the bread, we would be giving thanks and breaking it. And then, you know, each of us having the piece of bread, remembering this is the, the symbol of the body of Christ. Jesus said, this is my body given for you. And he asked us as often as we shared it to do it in remembrance of him. The most powerful picture of, of the reality of what Christ has done was to, to identify as a symbol for us the cup as the blood poured out to purchase the covenant. The life is in the blood. He gave it all. That we could sit at this table today and the, the millions and millions across the globe today that have done this with the confidence that Jesus Christ is Lord. His resurrection is the proof that he has the authority. And he has promised us eternal life. And as often as we share this cup, he's asked us to do this in remembrance of him. Father, indeed, this morning we come with thanksgiving, first and foremost, to the table. For what you have done for us, it is finished. We give you all the glory. We give you all the thanks. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of your Holy Spirit that gives us hope and confidence to rest in you. Lord, wherein we fall short in that hope and the confidence, we ask, Lord, that you would strengthen us through your word and bringing other believers alongside us that... Uh, can encourage us and lift us up. I think of even times the, 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 the lifting of Moses' hands by his, on either side. To, you know, sometimes we need that, Lord. Uh, but we rest with that confidence. We also take an opportunity this morning to, to thank you for the blessings that we have received through the country we live in. Lord, we are keenly aware as we look around at what we have that we are very blessed indeed. <laughs> We would ask, Lord, that that would not become a snare or a trap, an easy way to just say, oh, it's just what's owed us or it's what's ours because we're here or, or whatever, I earned it. But to rest with confidence again, not only in your grace, but your provision. You have put us in a, in a, in a place of, 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 of blessing, and we thank you. Cause us to be willing to, to surrender that to you, uh, as your word says, offering ourselves as a living sacrifice with the implication that that is not just ourselves, but all that we are and all that we have for your purposes, Lord. Again, Father, thanking you, we give you all the glory.
In Jesus' name, amen.